Well, today we're looking at the joy of the cross and the empty tomb. And we're going to be spending most of our time in John chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 16. We'll be right in the middle of the chapter looking at verses 20 through 22 for most of our time. And this passage in John 16 is toward the end of a section that lasts from John 13 through John 17. And this section is called the Upper Room Discourse. The Upper Room Discourse is Jesus' time with his disciples shortly before he goes to the cross. Jesus knows what's coming. The disciples, not so much. They know that it's a tense situation. They know that they're in Jerusalem where people are wanting to put Jesus to death. They're pretty nervous about all of that. They also know that Jesus has been saying some very heavy things about things that are to come. And so they're a little bit on edge because of that. But if we pick up the discourse in John 15, there's this beautiful passage of Jesus being the vine and they are the branches and they need to remain in him. And the disciples don't say anything about that. They don't have any questions. Nobody raises their hand and says, ah, Jesus, what do you mean? He goes on at the end of chapter 15 into the first part of 16. He talks about this advocate or counselor who is to come. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The disciples don't have any questions about that either. But then we get to verse 19. And Jesus understands that they want to ask you, ask him a question. In fact, if we back up to verse 16, He says, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Now, that they have a question about. What what do you mean we're not going to see you for a little while? What are you talking about, Jesus? Where is this that you're going to be going? And Jesus knows that they're struggling. They're struggling with the answer to that question. They're struggling what that question even means. Where is Jesus going? He gives an answer or at least tries to provide some comfort, I guess. In John 16, verse 20, he says this, Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. That's not really what you would expect as the starting point of comfort. To say to them, hey, you're struggling right now? Well, guess what? You're going to weep and you're going to mourn. And as if that wasn't enough, you're going to be weeping and mourning while the world is rejoicing. But he's not done. If we look at the rest of the passage, he says, Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time for grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. There's his comfort. Yes, there's going to be this time of grieving and mourning. The disciples are going to feel like all has been lost. And we know, and the disciples would know eventually, Jesus is speaking about going to the cross. That will be a time of great grieving and mourning. But the passage ends with, no one will take away your joy. So how do we get from the grief and the mourning to no one will take away your joy? Well, we need to start with the sorrow. We need to look at the sorrow of the cross. The disciples' grief actually begins even before the cross. Because, as I said, Jesus is saying these things that are disturbing them. 
They know something's coming that they don't like, that they don't want to go through. Jesus says in John 16, 6, rather you are filled with grief because I have said these things. He knows they're struggling. And he says, you're not just grieving, you're filled with grief, like filled up, overflowing, maybe even overcome. They are struggling. Why? Well, let's put ourselves in the disciples' place. They left everything to follow Jesus. Everything. Family, careers, inheritances maybe. Everything to follow Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, you're not going to see me for a while. Now, remember, most fundamental to the the mindset and the heart of a disciple is go where the rabbi goes, follow the rabbi no matter what. And now the rabbi, Jesus, is telling his disciples, I'm going somewhere you can't come. I'm going away from you for a little while. This is a moment of grief. This would cause weeping and mourning. But let's consider more of the grief of the cross. Think about what the disciples witnessed as they watched Jesus put on trial. This man that they have followed that cast out demons, that fed 5,000 people and 7,000 people using just a little bit of food. This man that they saw heal many people. This man that they had just previously, within the past 7 to 10 days, had risen Lazarus from the grave. This man is now shackled and put on trial in a mockery of justice, and he stands there and does nothing. This would cause weeping, wouldn't it? That would cause the disciples to mourn. But now let's put ourselves in their place again as they watch their friend, the rabbi, their Lord, be nailed to a cross, wondering with each hammer blow if he would put a stop to it. And then that cross is hoisted up and dropped into the ground. And this great, powerful rabbi that they followed, the one who proclaimed himself their savior, he does nothing. And then he dies. Put yourself in the disciples' place as they watched his lifeless body taken off the cross and placed in somebody else's tomb. And the stone rolled shut. I don't know that we can truly put ourselves in their place. But I think we can begin to imagine the loss that they felt. The failure of that moment. Maybe the bitterness and anger that expresses itself in overwhelming grief. Everything seemed false at that moment. All of Jesus' promises seemed to have fallen apart. Everything seems lost. It seems like the greatest defeat possible. I think that's part of what Jesus meant when he said, you will weep and mourn. But I think in the years to come, the disciples would realize something even more about the weeping and the mourning that they should have over the cross. And I hope it's something we realize today when we think about the cross of Jesus Christ, our cause for our weeping and mourning. 
Because when you look at the cross and the sufferings of the cross that Jesus went through, we need to remember the phrase, that should have been me. What Jesus went through, he went through for us. It should have been our suffering, but he endured it for us. It should have been our blood that was spilled, but he shed his blood in our place to pay the price for our sins. So we weep and we mourn when we look at the cross because when we see Jesus die, when we consider his death on the cross, we need to remember that should have been me. He suffered and died in our place. And there is great sorrow in that, in mourning, a grief, almost a guilt that should have been me. But I didn't title this sermon, The Sorrow of the Cross. The first part of the sermon title is The Joy of the Cross. So where are the, yeah, so where is the joy in this sorrow? Well, let's look at the joy of the cross. It's interesting to look at how Paul looks back on the cross. Because he says some things that are very much out of line with how we might want to look at the cross. He says this in Galatians 6.14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul looks at the cross and he doesn't just grieve. There are other places we could look at how he applies the grief of the cross. But here he's saying, I boast in the cross. Another translation would be, I glory in the cross. Why? Well, he explains this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has, this is Christ, taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Paul has joy in the cross because he knows that the suffering and death of Jesus Christ has brought victory. There's the the cause for joy. There's the reason to look at joy in the cross. If we weep and mourn at the extent of Jesus' suffering, and at the guilt that we feel knowing that it should have been us, then we must also cling to one of Jesus' final statements on the cross, which John records for us. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The cross, though it looked like a defeat, was the ultimate victory. But let's consider again the disciples. Let's consider moments after Jesus has died and been taken down from the cross and put in the tomb. Do you think at that moment they felt victory? Do you think in that moment they were just overwhelmed with joy? It's it's finished. Our sins have been paid for. No, because I don't think they understood it. In fact, I know they didn't. Scripture is very clear about that. I think they had lingering questions. What in the world just happened? How could everything we went through lead to that? How could this man who did all these miracles allow that to happen to him? Did Jesus fail? Were the promises for nothing? 
Meanwhile, at this time of anguish for the disciples, what's the world doing? The world was rejoicing. The world had put to get to death the Son of God and was rejoicing over their victory. But Jesus said something very interesting in John 16, 20. Your grief will turn to joy. Your grief will turn to joy. What would do that? What would turn their grief to joy? And here's where we need to look at the joy of the empty tomb. Jesus isn't saying that their grief will be replaced by joy. He's not saying that the the joy will just be greater than and overshadow the grief so that you forget about it. No, he's saying that their grief will turn into joy. Or another way of saying it is your grief will produce joy. What does he mean by that? Well, Jesus is very helpful here in John 16, 21. He likens it to a woman in childbirth. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into this world. So yes, there is a joy that replaces the anguish. But by using this metaphor, I think Jesus is pointing to something very important for us. It was the grief or the anguish of the cross that produced our salvation just as it is the pains in childbirth that lead to the birth of that child. Let's return to imagining ourselves in the place of the disciples. Here they are weeping, mourning because of the cross, mourning because of what they saw their Savior go through, mourning because Jesus is now dead and buried in the grave, mourning because it seems like all of the the promises are for nothing. But then Easter morning, they get word. The tomb is empty. The stones rolled away. And then someone else, I've seen Jesus. And their heads start swimming with, what can this mean? What does this news matter? Or what does it mean to us? And then they all see Jesus and he is alive. The defeat of the cross is not just replaced by victory. The defeat of the cross accomplished the victory. What power there was in that empty tomb to declare it is true that it is finished. Jesus has overcome sin. Jesus has overcome and conquered death. There is victory. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that Jesus's final words on the cross are true. It really is finished. He did it. He won. He overcame. The price of our sin has been paid and death itself has been defeated. This is why we call the gospel good news. This is why the angels all the way back at the beginning of John or or, uh, Luke, when they were talking to the shepherds, this is why they said, we bring you good news of great joy. This is the great joy, the conquering of sin and death through the cross. But Jesus has something else to say about this joy in John 16, verse 22. He says that it is a joy that no one can take away. It's an unstealable joy. Now, I need to admit here, 
I don't know if unstealable is a real word. I looked it up and some places said it was and some said it didn't or it wasn't. So you can decide for yourself. But I like that idea of an unstealable joy, a joy that no one can take away. In John 16, 22, he says, I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. No one will take away your joy. What Jesus is saying is that joy rooted in the cross and the resurrection is an unstealable joy. It is a joy that no one can take away. Why? Because nothing can change the truth that Jesus died in our place and rose from the grave, promising eternal life to all who believe. No one can rewrite that. No one can change that. Jesus, the Son of God, came and did that for us. Promising victory over sin and death. Remember early in this sermon series, I said that our joy must be based on something unchangeable, something outside of our circumstances. The roots of our joy must sink deep into something that will not change with the whims of this world. And here it is. No one will take away your joy because Jesus knew the joy that was to come from the cross and the resurrection. An unchangeable, unshakable, unstealable joy. But Jesus also said that we must understand the difference between our joy and the joy of this world. He told his disciples, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. Our mourning and our joy will often be out of step with the mourning and the joy of this world. What the world rejoices in is often things that cause us to grieve and mourn. And what the world grieves and mourns over is sometimes things that as Christians cause us great joy. We will be out of step with the feelings of this world. And that disconnect between our joy and our mourning versus the world's mourning and joy will often cause a great discomfort. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He says this whole concept of Jesus dying on the cross. And I think we could lump in here. I think Paul would be okay. And raising from the the grave. This whole idea is foolishness to this world. They look at that and say, no, no, that you should mourn over that. Your Savior died. That, That story cannot be true. There's no way that is real. But the gospel says, yes, he suffered and died on the cross, but that's Good news, because he did it for us. And because he conquered sin, and he conquered death, and the risen, resurrected Lord coming out of the empty tomb shows that his words are true. It is finished. And Jesus promised that even though we look foolish in this world at times, that through him we can have an unstealable joy. We may not feel that joy all the time, especially when we're out of step with things going on in the world. 
But the cause of our joy is not our feelings. And the ultimate result, results of our joy is, is not truly about feelings. It's about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Joy rooted in the cross and the empty tomb is an unstealable joy. And so when we don't feel it, we need to remind ourselves, no one can steal that joy from me. And I'm going to choose to focus there. I'm going to choose to dwell with my mind, my thoughts, my heart on the truth of the joy that is mine through Jesus Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection. And nothing can steal that joy. It's good to look at the cross with sorrow and weeping. It's why so often Good Friday services are very somber, quiet, sorrowful, because we are considering the death and the anguish of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's good to consider what Jesus Christ went through. It's especially good to remember that that should have been us. And yes, that causes sorrow, weeping, grief, mourning. But let us also look at the cross with great joy. Let us look there and see our victory. Let us see the gift of God through Jesus Christ that says, I will go there for you to save you because you can't do it for yourself. Let us see that in what the world called the defeat on the cross, Jesus calls the victory of the cross. And like Paul, let's boast in that great truth. Let us not be ashamed of that. Let us hold on to that. And when the world looks at us and says, you're foolish and we feel the the grief or the mourning, let us instead say, no, I boast in Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. Let me tell you about him. This is great joy. Great, unshakable, unstealable joy. The joy of the cross and the empty tomb. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can spend all of our waking moments considering the cross and the empty tomb and never reach the depths of the truth The truth about our sin and why the cost was so high. The truth about your love and why you were willing to pay that cost. The truth of the power of your son Jesus and his ability to pay that price for us. The love demonstrated on the cross and expressed for us by our Savior, your son, giving his life in our place. And the truth of the salvation that is ours through Jesus Christ, assured through the resurrection and the promise of new life demonstrated in the resurrection and this invitation now to each and every one of us, come live in this new life. But Father, may we always remember we must go through the cross. We must go through the sorrow of understanding it was our sin and our death that he took. And that then can lead to the joy of the victory because of the price that Jesus paid and then the victory of new life through him. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone watching this that has never come to understand that for themselves, to accept that, may today be the day. And they just talk to you and say, Jesus, I accept that what you did on the cross in my place should have been my punishment, my death, 
Thank you, Jesus, that you did it for me. Thank you for the new life I have in you. And Father, I pray for each one of us as we go through difficult times, times that so many things want to steal or shake our joy, may we stop. May we remember what's most important. The unshakable, unstealable joy we have through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.